Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stack. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Junior Doctor's Corner. In this episode, I sat down with Dr. Melanie Tan to talk about what it's like to be a medical lawyer. So what this means, as she will explain later in the episode, she's both a doctor and a lawyer. So if you've always been interested in medical law, you might want to listen to this episode first before you dive head into a law degree if you're a doctor. I hope you find this episode as interesting as I did. Hi, Dr. Melly Tan. Thank you so much for joining me on Junior Doctors Corner. Thanks for having me, Dana. So for those of our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you or knowing you, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? So I'm a health and aged care lawyer. Uh, I used to be a medical negligence lawyer as well uh, and uh, essentially retired um, doctor. Uh, And on the side, I like to dabble in a bit of jazz singing um, and... Mm. That's about it. So you mentioned that you're a lawyer and also you were a doctor. How did you end up, you know, where you are today career-wise? Like, did you start off as a doctor first and then study law? Or was it, you know, was it something that you had planned right from the get-go or fell into it? A bit of both. Uh, I think initially when I was, you know, at school, uh, I had always thought I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, but at the age of 16, I suddenly decided I wanted to become a psychiatrist. So um, went and did medicine, uh, didn't like it um, after my first year because it was purely uh, science-based, obviously, uh, and thought about switching back to switching to law after that. Uh, but I didn't want to keep thinking back and forth. So I just kept on knowing that it would be better, things would be better when I saw patients, started seeing patients and things like that and got on the treadmill and never got off really. Uh, and then in my fifth year of medicine, I actually stopped the treadmill for a little while and thought, I'm not sure I really want to do this. There were aspects of medicine I, I liked, but I felt that I didn't love it enough to dedicate myself to it like I knew I would have to, to do it justice so in my fifth year, I suddenly thought, well, I'll, I think I, I just, I'll finish, I'll finish, I'll finish my sixth year, I'll do my internship, and then I won't do it anymore. And as soon as I decided that, there was a big weight lifted off my fingers. I think I just had never been able to find a niche during, you know, the five years of med school. Not not that you have to, but I just, I never really engaged with it as much as I, I felt I should have. As soon as I made the decision to leave it, I was relieved. And then I thought, now what? And then I suddenly thought, well, why don't I go back and study law like I originally planned to? We'd had some lectures, I think, in community medicine in medico legal mm. issues, and I thought it was quite interesting. So uh, at that point, I thought, well, if I study law, I could use that as my way of specialising, I suppose, and combine the two because I was interested in that sort of health law aspect. So that's what happened. And so I did my internship year, hated it. <laughs> and the year after that, uh, when I went to Cambridge to study law and qualified as a, a lawyer in London after that, and it was always with the view to combine medicine and law, uh, but I didn't know exactly how that would be. Mm. Uh, I guess the most obvious uh, route was in me- in medical negligence, and I suppose at that time that was probably the most interesting. Uh, and perhaps academically it's, it's quite interesting, but in practice it, it's 
wasn't as interesting as okay so can you tell us a bit about what what does your day-to-day work involve like I always imagine you know medical lawyers mainly work at either prosecuting or defending doctors um is there scope for other kinds of work aside from that as a medical lawyer uh, very much because I, I, I wish I'd found that earlier because now I work in the regulatory space, which is what I really love. I was a medical negligence lawyer for about, I don't know, quite a few years uh, before I decided to give it up. I only ever did defendant work. I, I, I just couldn't do plaintiff work. I, I felt I was uh, betraying my peers somehow uh, doing plaintiff work, which essentially is 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 like insurance work because the client is always the insurer. And with medical negligence work, it's it's just, you know, you're dealing with claim after claim after claim, complaint after complaint after complaint. It's about putting out fires and looking backwards and and trying to make a bad situation uh, or trying to, uh, I suppose, um, resolve a a bad situation. The outcome in a a medical negligence claim was always, to me, a lose-lose situation. You know, you'd always end up having a person who was injured or thought they were injured and a hospital or a doctor, you know, um, feeling either angry that that they had to go through that process in the first place and that they did nothing wrong or um, extremely remorseful to the extent that they might actually, especially for private doctors, to the the extent that they actually look at changing their careers and that was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And medical negligence isn't black and white just because claim and just because uh, the MDO might decide to pay the claim, it doesn't mean that anyone's saying the doctor or the hospital did anything wrong in inverted commas. It's just the way the law of negligence works in practice. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons I didn't like enjoy medicine was I felt was very um, algorithmic, very flowchart thinking. There was no sort of room for creativity. And in medical negligence, I love the advice work. It was really interesting thinking about the liability issues, I suppose. Uh, And that really gave me that opportunity to marry the law and medicine a little bit. But after a while, it got very process driven. So I kind of, um, I got tired of that as well as the fact that I didn't really feel any job satisfaction out of it. But after that, the type of work I got into was uh, more general medical legal advisory work with the MDOs, basically. Uh, and that can be a, a whole range of things. Some of it's regulatory, like what I do now. Some of it was about, you know, handling complaints. Some of it was about, you know, advising doctors on how to manage difficult situations. And I, I really enjoyed that. That was interesting, you know, because you could take a step back and, and give them some advice and a different perspective. And it didn't wasn't necessarily legal and it definitely wasn't clinical, but it was just peer advice. And, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, and peer advice from someone who understands how complaints and claims work, I suppose, and where the risks are. And essentially that's what I did and what I still do is is looking at risk. You know, it's all about analysing risk and assessing risk and advising on risk. You know, you'd advise your, the, your client, the insurer, um, of the insurer of the hospital or, or the doctor, uh, you advise them of their risk of a plaintiff succeeding in, in in a negligence claim against them or or not. Now I, I still advise on risk, but in, in a different kind of context and still within the the health space. So going back to your question about the, the other types of areas of, of law that are connected to health, um, as I said, I was I was in the working with the MDOs in that sort of general medical legal advice space for a while uh, and moved out of that 
into more, I suppose, higher level legal advice in the health space, which is essentially, yeah, regulatory advice, compliance. Uh, it's more in the f- field of um, perhaps we call it administrative law, which is essentially about fair decision making. Uh, that's one of the things that that we do advise on is decisions and risks of decisions. Now I work in the health and aged care space as a regulatory lawyer, uh, advising on uh, advising clients essentially on compliance risks. I suppose that's the easiest way to explain it. Yep. Okay. It's, uh, it's more complex and a more interesting work, and it's different all the time as compared to medical negligence work. But uh, having said that, the my medical negligence background does help with this work because it gives me that perspective on mm-hmm. a, a different perspective on, on risk than yeah. other regulatory lawyers um, might have. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the COVID-19 pandemic has had any effect on your work, but uh, there's been a huge surge of telehealth consults recently because of it. And I think a lot of junior doctors have been asked to start seeing patients via telehealth with a you know, minimal training prior. So medical, legally, can you please, you know, give junior doctors, our listeners, some advice, you know, what are some pitfalls? How can they keep themselves and their patients safe from a legal standpoint? So telehealth is useful, especially in circumstances like these, uh, but there are risks. I am not comfortable with the prospect of junior doctors being asked to use telehealth without any training. (laughs) I think it's important that they do have training. So I think bottom line for any doctor, junior, senior, whatever level, if you're not comfortable doing something, don't just jump into it. Don't feel like you have to do anything. Always ask the question and If you feel you need some training or guidance, ask for it. I think where doctors can get into trouble, any doctors get in trouble, is when they start doing something that they know they're not comfortable with, but they do it anyway and not actually try and ask for help. So that's my first advice to junior doctors is ask for help. Don't just feel that it's expected of you to know exactly how to conduct a telehealth consult because you know we all know it's different to real life consult so speak to someone talk to people the other thing is I suppose to make sure I always call uh, any doctor who, who uses telehealth should also speak to the MDO and make sure that their their insurance covers it the medical indemnity covers it uh, I'm aware that many junior doctors may not have their own medical indemnity cover because they only work in the public system and generally covered by the hospital however I would urge uh, all doctors regardless of seniority uh, also sorry regardless of whether they're in the public or private system to to have their own medical indemnity cover if you are a doctor purely in the public system so if there is a, a an incident that leads to a negligence claim uh, while you are treating a patient in your capacity as the hospital's doctor then yes generally you're, you're covered by the hospital you know for those claims however what you're not covered for are professional complaints against you. And sometimes if there's a, an inquest, a coronial inquest, then a junior doctor might feel that they want their own representation uh, if they don't feel comfortable with the hospital's representation. Uh, so there may be instances where the junior doctor and the hospital disagree or don't align or, or for whatever reason the junior doctor doesn't feel comfortable, then without their own indemnity, they would be yeah, expensive for them if they you know, sort their own legal representation. Being a member of an MDO, uh, you can always call your MDO for advice. Uh, every medical, medical defence organisation has a 24-7 uh, 
Medica, Medica Legal Advice line. So again, if a junior doctor is being asked to uh, conduct consults by telehealth and isn't feel, feeling comfortable, they can call their MDO and, and discuss the issues with them and the MDO can guide them through uh, the things they need to be thinking about, whether their indemnity covers it. That's an important question, whether they are covered for it as well in, in the private space. The other thing I'd suggest to junior doctors is they make sure they are aware of the limitations in telehealth, um, not only clinically but technologically as well as in other areas such as privacy. I think the first thing you need to think about any, any telehealth consult is, is, is this appropriate for telehealth, you know, can I properly assess this person through telehealth? Also, understand the technology you're using and, you know, think about, the, you know, how you might manage things if the system doesn't work, crashes. And then the other thing is, like I mentioned, privacy. Uh, you know, it, it's, privacy is a lot. It, there's a hard, much higher risk of breaching privacy through telehealth. You don't know who else is with an earshot of the uh, video. And also uh, a lot of platforms uh, such as Zoom uh, aren't actually secure. And in thinking about all those risks, it's important also to uh, make sure that the patient has provided informed consent to use telehealth, being aware of those additional risks associated with telehealth that aren't associated with a, a usual consult. And then on top of everything else, remember that your duty of care is, is still the same, whether it's by telehealth or, or not. And so you still have to do the same things you would normally have to do, um, such as, you know, take notes or, you know, properly assess the the patient. It wouldn't be an excuse to say, oh, I couldn't assess the patient properly because it was by telehealth. The RICGP has got good guidelines and your MDO probably has good guidelines as well. So I would you know, urge everyone to read those. But yeah, like I, said, I think the main thing is really sit back and understand two things. Sit back and understand the risks. I'll say three things. <laughs> sit back, understand the risks, make sure your patients understand the risk and are still, are still happy to have the consult through telehealth. And um, Thirdly, ask for help if you feel you need it. Those are some really great advice. Thank you so much for sharing them. Before we move on to uh, the final question uh, that I ask all my guests, do you have any advice for junior doctors who are potentially interested in pursuing a career uh, in medical law? Don't jump into a law degree without talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot of doctors uh, I find um, who are interested in law and thinking about maybe doing something else, whether it's alongside of medicine or instead of medicine, immediately think about whether they should be doing a law degree. I always say the only reason anyone needs to do a law degree is if they actually want to be a practicing lawyer. I wouldn't do a law degree for the reasons which I did it, <laughs> which was to combine medicine and law. Having said that, I did want to be a lawyer. <laughs> so yeah, I would just say talk to someone in practice I, I think because it's not what they might think it is mm -hmm. and I can say that having done pretty much everything I can in medicine and law I think mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I worked as or I work I still work as, as a lawyer in private practice although now in a different area of law uh, I worked uh, in government I worked as an academic I've worked overseas <laughs> no I've, I've done different things um I've worked in MDOs so I I have I've done I've, I've tried a few different things in the, in the medical law slash health law space uh and they're all a bit different and not everything's for everybody 
if some of our listeners had questions about being a health-related lawyer, uh, is there any way they can get in touch with you to ask those questions? Uh, yes, uh, um, probably best to find me on, easiest to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Melanie Tan. Happy to advise people who are interested in exploring areas of medical law. I have, I've helped quite a few people in the last couple of years find some suitable roles as well, which didn't involve uh, pursuing any further study, which saves a lot of time and money. <laughs> and right. uh, now in roles that they're, they're very happy in where they feel that um, they are getting to combine a bit of med- their medical uh, experience and knowledge with a uh, more sort of, I suppose, legal, mm-hmm. in inverted commas, slant. So final question, uh, can you please name one or two things that are keeping you sane in your crazy busy life, especially right now with COVID-19 going on? Yeah. My family, <laughs> my husband, my parents um, who live upstairs, so luckily I still get to see them. And music. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, this hobby of yours? You mentioned that you play jazz music. Yeah, well, I I did uh, (laughs) pre-COVID. I was uh, doing a little gig in a a couple of wine bars uh, every now and then. I had a monthly monthly gig in a wine bar uh, who still kindly delivers wine to me, but unfortunately I can't do music to them. Uh, yeah, just jazz standards. I grew up listening to jazz. Um, I just love love it. Um, to me, it's very poetic. <laughs> so the lyrics, you know, in jazz really mean a lot to me as well as as, as the melodies. Uh, unfortunately, I don't play any instruments, so I do rely on a pianist or a, or a guitarist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just something I grew up listening to. I've only really been singing it for the last few years and only really singing in public for the last two or three years. And okay. that's really more... For personal development, more than anything else, I, you know, I used to uh, have panic attacks when I tried to sing in public, and I can't explain why I wanted to still try it, but I just did. I think it's something about loving the music so much, and and, and therefore feeling you just want to engage with the music and be in the music. Um, you know, when you watch your friends play in bands yeah. and in there, you want to be a part of it, that kind of feeling. So it wasn't because I didn't, I didn't start gigging because I wanted to perform and show off my talents because I don't have any talent. I don't, I'm not talented at all. It's just, you know, it was just about wanting to be involved, I suppose, and engage with it. And when I was started off panicking, I wanted to get over those, that panic so I kept pushing myself uh, to try and get over that those panic attacks and the, the nerves and knowing the more I did it, the, the less nervous I, I'd be. And, um, yeah, it was just one of those things I, I just wanted to challenge myself with, I suppose, yeah. Well, hopefully you'll be able to get back to it again soon. Thank you so much for your time and advice today, Melanie. Thank you, Dana. Thank you very much for inviting me. If you really like that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.